0: been looking at James this week chapter 1 and um, the first main section uh, really covers trials and temptations and what those look like in the life of a believer and uh, <clears throat> we got a rough outline of this first 18 verses which make up um, the first main section um, verses 2-4 through four, uh, the purpose of trials, and we looked at that Monday night, and um, uh, the whole purpose of the trials is the uh, testing of your faith, it's the uh, you being a perfect work, not doing perfect things, the focus of perfect is on you. So God's desires for us to be absolutely perfect, which in the middle of that, this whole verses 2, 3, and 4 is this testing of your faith which is not ability, it's not, um, uh, you know, I'm going to put pressure on you and, and you know, and, and I'm going to hide from you and, uh, you know, and you're just going to have to really believe when there's no, there's no evidence. And there's some of that's true in their circumstances, but really what it is, is the testing of your faith is just, are you going to lean on Jesus in the midst of what you're going through? Okay. Are you going to lean on him? Are you going to lean on your own resource? are you going to lean on your own insight? Are you going to really lean on your own abilities. And these are what the trials are. There's all kinds of words for trials in the New Testament. And um, they're all appropriate, fine, talk about different things. But the focus that James is getting on here, the trial of in this context uh, that brings joy, by the way, that we get excited about, it's the trial, uh, a circumstance that reveals are we trusting in Jesus, that we're to get really excited about that. Because a perfect work, a real Christian, is one who allows Jesus to reproduce himself through us. Uh, That was verses 2 through 4. The purpose of trials. You come into verses 5 through 8, which we looked at sometime this week. And you have the perfect perspective. Which is new terminology about wisdom. That wisdom is not just information. Um, I get tricked into that sometimes. Uh, Jesus help me figure out what my wife wants from me. Tell me exactly what to tell her, what to give her, okay? And it's not, I find, and I do, and I think this is wonderful. For the longest time, I thought she was jacked up. but uh, uh, And it's probably, she probably is jacked up. But um, uh, the issue is I'm trying to fix her when in fact, I think oftentimes she wants me to identify with her. She wants me to understand her. She wants me to see. See, Stephen told me something that I constantly yell at him uh, with impure motives all the time. Uh, Back at him. He used to say something to us when I was an intern. Get out of your perspective. Just get out of your own perspective. I don't care what it is. Just get out of your own perspective and see through the eyes of the people that you're with. Giving up your right to be right, which is difficult when you're right all the time. (laughs) Not talking about Stephen, talking about myself. But um, you know, it's 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 perspective that it's not about right or wrong, it's not about good or evil. It's about it's about it's him. It's seeing the way that he sees. Um, See how do you how do you talk about? um, Is it wrong or right to go to a Hooters restaurant? Well, I've heard all kinds of arguments and stories on that. I think that establishment exploits women. You say, how do you? Why do you think that? Well, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't view them like that. And so I don't want to. I don't want to participate. Some, I don't want to participate in something. Um, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to participate in something which promotes a perspective that's not of Him that's 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 really strong for me that's that's a really that's a big problem in our culture so it's not about right and wrong and you can justify anything really when it comes down to it sir you can justify about anything which is wonderful but it's about living in his perspective i want to live in his perspective i want to see the way he sees and i thought that was it was beautiful Corey mentioned this uh last night i think um but about the woman at the well in chapter four uh, man, that was so. That's so powerful. Uh, he saw this. He saw this young lady through the through the eyes of his father, and uh, you know the the subject of a husband comes up, and he says, "You're right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five men." And he's, his disciples come back, and man, they're shocked. It's culturally inappropriate. It's risky. He's talking to a prostitute at a well all by himself you know, and they're nervous and all of that kind of stuff, but he's operating out of a different perspective. That's this, that's this wisdom idea that you and I are called to live out of that. You guys are, to, you and I are to maintain that, that perspective. Um, I want to look with you this morning at verses 9 through 11, which has to do with this position, okay? That there's a position that you and I have, as, uh, as believers um, fill in the kingdom, it's, and we're calling it the perfect position, <laughs> And um, it's hard. I'm. I'm uh, this morning, when I was in the shower, I was giggling about this. <laughs> I find myself giggling all the time. I'm just a giggler. <laughs> and I'm running over in my head. <laughs> I'm running over in my head, all the all the this this verses nine through eleven. Because I was going to look at verse twelve, skip it. But we need to really stick with the program. So I'm going to look through nine for life, so I'm running over this stuff and uh, thinking about it. And uh, you can't make this stuff up. Really, you can't make this stuff up. I used to marvel so, I'll, I'll say it like this: Something has happened to me this week that hasn't happened in a long time. Doesn't mean I haven't been growing. I've experienced growth. but I probably. I mean I'm a narrow guy. I really am. I'm a narrow guy. I'm I'm a handful. I understand that. I'm a character. But I'm, I'm a really narrow guy. I don't steal. I don't lie. I'm not gonna lie to you. I did. I hey I quit lying a couple years ago. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna honestly I'm just gonna tell you the truth. If you don't wanna know the truth, don't ask me. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I'm a very narrow guy. Uh, you know, I'm hey, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't lie, I don't steal, all that kind of stuff I mean, I'm your typical average I've become your typical average church guy, okay, which is really interesting. But I felt like for the last, really, four or five years, I've kind of plateaued. I've, It's almost, I don't want to use it, but I almost arrived language. And, um, still studying and growing in areas of my life, but I've not had any crisis moments. I remember when I was in college, what I mean by a crisis moment is I'm, I'm walking out of Hills Hall and, uh, I'm walking across, uh, I'm walking across the yard, uh, the camp, the, the grounds, the college grounds, going to class, and um, I had been, um, and this is before I met any of you guys, and I had, uh, I had, I had tie, I was tying my fingers together with baggy ties, and um, it was this attempt to remember that he was, he was with me wasn't an ultra spiritual thing it wasn't attention thing and there's been times when i've done that in my life okay but this wasn't one of those and it was just this i had discovered this crisis earth shattering reality that he is walking with me, and at that time in my life, it wasn't that he was in me. It was this idea that it's he's this. I can almost picture him just giving his, and he did this for everybody. But he he did this. In fact, you and I had this conversation a long time ago. We sat in our motorhome, in your motorhome, and I had said, I don't know if you remember this, but I'd said um, that I feel like I'm special to him. I feel like he just looks at me like I'm just special, and of course, he views us all as special. But I, it was this reality that, I was, that he was every step I took, what I cared about, he cared. There was nothing that happened to me. Like sometimes stuff will happen to my kids and I'll blow them off. You know, come on, suck it up. It's not a big deal. You know, it's not, he's never like that with me. He's never like that. He's, he cares about the bad hair days of your life. I mean, he really does. And that was a crisis. I mean, that forever changed the direction of our relationship. Um, I've had those in my life. You follow me so far on that? Okay. This week I've had one of those, and it's in the articulation of the message. I don't, man, and and my first response probably is the pride thing. I was embarrassed, you know. Um, I don't. I have to think about it, but I don't know if I've resisted him. Probably have, but something just clicked this week, and I've looked back at my at my sermons, and I've preached all this stuff, but. It's just the language hasn't been as, uh, some of the language we use, it hasn't been as strong as we wanted. it. You know what I'm saying? It's not as, it's not as pointed. Um, it's not as articulated. It's not as, it's not as strong. Um, and it's coloring everything in my life, which is what a crisis point does. Uh, I uh, hit McDonald's on the way in. And uh, I'm listening to Christian radio, which I've almost stopped doing because it makes me sick. I don't find much different. I don't find any more much difference from Christian radio to non-Christian radio, personally. Okay. And you'd say, well, they're talking about Jesus. Yeah, but they're not talking about the same kind of Christianity that I believe. For instance, this morning they're talking about in our town. This is Lebanon, okay? Home of Cracker Barrel, where we got things together. okay. And they're talking about the ministry of some missions in the area to people, and there's this these group of pastors. There's like four, four or five of them going. And every one of them, I just felt, I not to be judgmental, but I, I was listening to one or two, and I was like, I wouldn't say it like that. Listen to this next guy. As I'm munching on my breakfast burrito, and I, I wouldn't say it like that. And this guy gets up, and he says, listen. And he's the head. He, you can tell he's the voice of the group. When he says something, they all tend to agree. And he says, you're all missing it. He says, we're not Jesus, and we're never going to be Jesus. He said, in fact, we follow Jesus at a distance. And we're never going to look like him, and we're not going to act like him, and we're never going to measure up to him. Our call as Christians is to point to him. And I just was like, wow, what a loser. What a heathen. what a That's anti-Christ kind of stuff. Seriously, it just... I wasn't angry. I was just, just. it's the last straw. I'm just search, I'm going back to Metallica. Where's that at? It's in here somewhere. <laughs> Seriously, if I'm going to listen to crap, it might as well be good crap. You know what I'm saying? Might as well be really rocking stuff. Because that's all that was on the radio. Because that's not our, that, we don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That's so contrary. That's so contrary to everything we believe. Because it, it led me to the conclusions that we're never going to be Jesus, you know. In fact, I may molest your kids, but I'm going to point to Jesus and say, he, let's follow him. So their idea of Christianity, see, I may steal your cars. I may lie to you. But his version of Christianity is, is, I believe with all my heart that there is this huge, wonderful, awesome Christ, and he's the savior of the world. And we're all jerks. And we're going to champion him on, and we're going to serve him. And there's, That's a version of Christianity, but that's not what James is saying, okay. So let me articulate this concept, and this is pretty much, I don't want to call it filler, but go back with me to John chapter, uh, quickly, John chapter 3. Christ in you, we constantly, this is going to be explored more in James, but I think it's important to reiterate this. John chapter 3. That um, we often talk about, and this is really strong for me, in uh, the seven churches, Jesus comes to these churches and says, what was going on inside of me is supposed to go on inside of you. What was going on inside of Jesus? The way he feels, the way he sees, he lives inside of me, and literally he's going to be hounding us with his perspective. He's going to be, I mean, he, he, he can't live inside of you and you not hear and be pulled and be just, I mean, poked and prodded by the way he feels. And he wants you to give yourself to that and be caught up in his perspective and caught up in his vision and caught up in the way he sees and, and operating to, until the point where literally your perspective is just washed away in light of the new revelation in life that he gives. Okay. That's, that's really big. That's really big. Seeing our world through his eyes. Okay. Now. Flesh, and this is the whole topic of what we're talking about, which is why we're looking at this. Flesh, oftentimes, it's not talked about as bad. It's, in some respects, there's, of course, evil you know, act, actions of been, But most of the time, it's just inadequate. Okay? It's, it's just inadequate. For instance, this big, contra, this big conversation with Nicodemus. You've got a man of the Pharisees. He's not that bad. He's, he's, in fact, he's quite good as a Pharisee. But the language that Jesus uses is just radical. Uh, he says down in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see. You, see. you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Greek word there, born again, it's not a good translation. Born, actually, uh, if I remember uh, this correctly, it's conceived in Matthew 1.20, which you can say produced by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the language when uh, the angel says to Mary that the whole God Himself has conceived in you, He has produced in you, He has placed in you. Okay, that's the word "born." So, in other words, He says, "Listen, you must be born, produced from above." Okay. Not from below. Now you'd say, why does, he, why does he use that language from above and from below? That, there's a contrast when you get later on in the chapter between John the Baptist and Jesus. Uh, you go down, for instance, uh, verse 31. John the Baptist looks to his disciples who are all bent out of shape and jealous about Jesus gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So John's disciples come up to him. They're kind of ticked off. They need to you know, get some new music, uh, better programs, that kind of stuff. And... Um, John says in verse 31, the one who comes from above or the one who is produced from above is above all. The one who is from the earth, that's out of, speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So he says, listen, Jesus, this is what John the Baptist says. I am from the earth. I am produced from here. Jesus is produced from there. He's, it's a whole different resource. It's produced from God and produced from the earth. Now, that contrast is really helpful in understanding Nicodemus, what he says to Nicodemus, because the same language, whatever you call this above language, whatever makes Jesus who he is, Jesus says makes every other person in the kingdom, okay? Okay? Whatever makes Jesus what he is makes every other person in the kingdom, which immediately refutes the bonehead I heard on the radio this morning. Seriously, if Jesus is living this life and I am living this life, you're not Christian. I, 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 that, I know that's how absolutely overt that sounds, but that's just what we're left with. There is he is the we we've, we've used prototype language, but he's the example. He's the demonstration. He's come and says, You want to know what a child of God looks like? I am it. This is what God intended. This is the standard. Okay? And of course, so it's, it's not on ability and talent. Now, the main contrast later chapters between Jesus and John, but in this chapter, you'd say, Oh, it's between Nicodemus and Jesus. <laughs> no, it's not. This was, uh, this was huge for me. The contrast in the beginning of the chapter is not on, between Jesus and Nicodemus. The contrast early in the chapter is between Jesus and a bunch of bonehead disciples that are up there in the upper room with him, okay? Nicodemus, Pharisee of Pharisee, Sanhedrin, teacher of the teachers, uh, good heart, becomes a follower within this, this gospel, I mean goes against the grain and the flow of everyone in his circle of influence. I mean just Nicodemus, you have to consider all of these variables. He's with that group. He's in the temple. He's among the Jews. He's I mean when Jesus is speaking, he's in that deal Yet he takes time to search Jesus out at night after all the activities and festivities and responsibilities and comes down and says, listen, something is yearning and burning within me. I have got, there is something different about you. And the contrast is between Jesus, or Nicodemus, which is a remarkable individual, a remarkable man, between the unremarkable. Now you see the unremarkable... Beginning down in verse 9, when Nicodemus says, how can this be? Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. He affirms all of this. Just the profound person you are. And you don't understand these things? I mean, come on, really? Then he says in verse 11, he uses plural language. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know we testify to what we have seen but still you people do not accept our testimony i and i was i was actually um i was surprised at this because none of the commentators that i respect and consistently look to in terms of word study and concept there's only two or three of those guys out there sometimes and probably most of the time you know we'll differ on things but none of them suggested what i thought they would suggest that oh when jesus says we speak of what we know he's talking about him and the father and they said that's no and everybody it seems like everybody agrees on that jesus did not re- refer to himself and the father in same category plural language he just never did that so you're left with this question who's the we we speak of what we know we speak of what we testify Who did he come down? Again, context is everything. When you come down to the beginning of chapter 2, when Jesus comes in the temple, it tells you he's with his mothers, brothers, and his disciples, that they come down to celebrate the Passover, which is a week-long thing. Where did they stay? They didn't live there. They rented an upper room. So when Nicodemus comes at night to seek out Jesus, he's in the upper room with his family. The disciples probably opened the door. What's up, Nick? Jesus here? Yeah, he's chilling over there. Watching the game. So hey, Nicodemus walks across the floor. Sub, Jesus. Sub dog. <laughs> and they begin to talk. There's more than just Jesus up there. It wasn't like, you know, he comes in the holy holy kind of room. So he says, and which tells you, Jesus, <laughs> this is so neat. He looks at Nicodemus and says, Listen, I mean, just there's no condemnation in any of this language. There's no shame on you. It's pulling him in. It's it's I'm loving on you. I want you to get a hold of this. He says, Listen, you don't you don't get this? He says, let me give you an example. Let me contrast you with, you see those 12 ignorant fishermen over there? Tax collector types. I mean, just, and we could go in forever, which this is not the passage we're looking at, but we could go in on forever about the, the contrast between Jesus' disciples and normal rabbi disciples. They picked children. They didn't go pick old rejects that didn't make it, which Jesus did. And he says, we testify to what we've seen. We testify to what we know. The Greek word know there is gnosko, which means they've experienced it. And it's really profound because they can't articulate it. It's not oida. We don't testify to what we, oida, or what we, like oida is, is from the word perceive, uh, from what we know. I, know. I can. Oh, I can put all this together. They can't put it all together. But, man, they're living in ways they can't live. They're seeing in ways they can't see. And of course we've went in other sermons went back and looked at chapter 2 for illustrations of that where Jesus comes in and the disciples automatically are on the same page with him. How is that possible? It's not and it's such a profound example. It's obviously not due to their superior intellect. Do you see the contrast? This is our message, you guys. This is our message. It's very easy to tell James chapter one. It's very easy to tell. I mean, when I'm when I'm not acting out of him, I look just I just look like me, and that's what James is talking about as a believer. He's saying that's the whole trials purpose. Now he comes down into verse nine through eleven, which honestly this doesn't take too long to go through, and uh, he sets up a contrast. Uh, And we'll look at that the brother in humble circumstances uh, ought to take pride in his high position But but is the word day used in one of two ways in scripture every single time It's going to take one idea over here and one idea over here and link them together Or it's going to take one idea over here and one idea over here and contrast them one or the other the only way it's used in this, he's talking about humble a brother in humble circumstance and one in rich circumstance. There are uh, results of the one in humble circumstances, and there was a, a result for one in rich the rich in their circumstances. Okay, so you have you have a contrasting picture. So he's setting up a contrast. You say what contrast is he talking about? Well, you read the word rich. And humble circumstances, you immediately think of people who have coin and people who don't. Okay? People who have money and people who don't. Typically, that's how we talk about rich. And you'd say, well, he doesn't say poor, and at least, which tells you how worldly we are, when I read humble circumstances, I thought of all the politically correct ways we speak about poor people. You know? Oh, they're of low means. You can't say poor anymore uh they're of uh, limited resources so you can't say they're poor anymore they're of humble circumstances which would contrast nicely with rich which has to do with money now on a on a reasonable level the contrast which is obviously um, if you had to say good and bad which is not necessarily what he's saying rich would be bad humble circumstances would be poor in the terms of poor would be uh rich would be bad and uh poor would be good the reason tells you that he's not ta- that doesn't work, because rich, even in the most, I mean, reasonable, you don't have to be too smart to grasp this, being rich is not bad, okay? I mean, if you want to feel that way, that's fine. In fact, we'll take your money to help you out with all of that, okay? We'll keep you poor, okay? I'd love to serve you if I can, okay? But rich, to have money is not bad, okay? Having, having that with you, which means being, like, you know, beautiful is not bad, Okay? Having abilities, you don't downplay, you don't fake who you are. Okay? But when we're talking about rich, we're not, we're not, talking, about, we're not talking about money. So let's, let's look at these two terms together. Obviously, we'll look at humble circumstances first, which comes first in the passage. <laughs> this is neat. When he says, the brother in humble circumstances, that's actually one Greek word that's used there. We translate it that way. It's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 16. But back here, it doesn't have to do with... Oh, by the way, and when it says... And it's misleading because we say humble circumstances. Again, we think of low means. Uh, we think of limited resources. But you understand, humble circumstances doesn't describe the circumstances because humble circumstances is the same Greek word. So humble circumstances describes the brother, so it doesn't, it's not talking about outward activities. You see that, that theme consistently? Okay. It's not talking about what I have or what I don't have. It's talking about me. I myself am humble. Now, it's not translated that way in uh, Romans 12, 16. Listen to how it's translated in Rose, Romans 12, 16. This is awesome. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. With low position. And the commentators I found on that word right there, can you can translate that alternate in other other, um, translations they do. They said associate people in low position, meaning people who are only capable of menial tasks. Okay? So a person of low position is someone who just, you know, hey, you go out for Chinese, you don't give them chopsticks, a fork. Why? Well, they hurt themselves. Okay? That's their low position. They're menial tasks. You know? See it's it's okay, we've got two jobs. We've got we need someone to vacuum the sanctuary and someone to rewire the circuit breaker. Jeremiah, vacuum the circuit uh, vacuum the circuit breaker. Okay. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> vacuum the sanctuary. <laughs> it's someone it's the special. It's the um, I don't I wanna be socially correct here while being funny and getting my point. It's the short bus stuff, okay? Um, it really is. Um, it's it's lacking the abilities. Uh, let me give you another place. Second Corinthians chapter two uh, or chapter ten. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse two. I beg you that when I come. I may not have to be bold as I expected to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Oh, that's, I mean, verse 1. Although that's a very good verse and you should probably remember that. Verse 1, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, listen to this, timid when face to face with you, but bold, went away. My wife and I argue about this stuff. He, Paul, we think of Paul, you, well, I, I'm not going to include you. You can think of Paul, Paul however you want to think about Paul. But I've always thought about Paul as this oh, just, just, massive kind of, you know, knock-down-houses-with-his-words-and-fists kind of profound individual when he's writing to you. <laughs> but when he's with you, you're like, that's Paul? That pipsqueak over there is Paul? I could take him. My son could take him, you know? <laughs> There's no way. He doesn't, in other words, we think of Paul, we oftentimes attribute the power of the spirit coming out of that guy, we attribute that to the flesh. Okay? I wonder what that guy looks like. Okay? And he says, listen, I'm timid. I'm, I'm I mean, really, I'm not, you, I'm not some mighty warrior kind of. Um, when I grew up in high school, I went through a massive change in my life in sixth grade. I was always the top of everything physical growing up as a kid. Um, I was the kid you didn't mess with, I'd, I'd kick your butt. I, um, I wasn't, my sister had, and my wife knows this, my sister is, Tamara is just smart. I mean, she can't walk and chew gum, but that girl is smart. Seriously, she never brought a book home her whole life, and she's been valedictorian of everything since birth. I mean, just anything, education, she's phenomenal. I was the athlete. I mean I was the all-star basketball player. I was the first round when I went to I remember as a kid and this and maybe in Big Tube but in, in Indiana basketball which is everything. Steve Alford camp, okay, junior boy stuff. I was first round draft pick, first guy picked. I was really good. I was really good. I'm, I mean, I was the fastest on the cross-country team. I, I, was, I, I would go and I would average two to three, promise in the name of Jesus, not exaggerating, not preacher stuff. I would hit two to three home runs a night in Little League with the pitching machine stuff. I was just, I was outstanding, okay? <laughs> I was, but I came out, yeah, but I, I had a massive shocker. I'm a late, I was a late bloomer. My mom was a late bloomer. My dad was a late bloomer. My son's a late bloomer. My son's only lost two teeth, and he's eight years old. I mean, we go over to you know, your house, and your son's, uh, Riley's already growing hair on his legs. He's like eight years, nine years old, you know. And, you know, and, and he's, he's, they mature quick, you know. I mean, some kids do. I didn't. So at sixth grade, I realize everyone looks different after summer, you know. And I'm thinking, that's weird. And I, I stopped being the superstar, And I thought, well, it'll catch up. I didn't hit puberty until I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, I went from woo to hey guys, you know, bouncing around in the gym and can I play on the team? You know, as this little guy, I mean, five foot seven, 105 pounds in high school. I'm 6'4, 220. I'm two of me in high school. And um, I resented menial tasks. I resented being timid. I resented that. See, that's where all that anger stuff came from. See, I'm not going to let you pick on me. You know, I mean, I don't, and I was, there was frustration, and why won't I grow? Grow hair! <laughs> you know? Come on, get bigger! And I, I never did, and I, man, it was, it drove me, and went in the Marine Corps, and tried to achieve, and, and some of that came back, and, you know, and I've always been extremely competitive. Well... I become a Christian and and uh, I wanted to be I wanted to be the best Christian. Does that make sense? Not just not making any mistakes, but being the best at Greek and being the best preacher. And I consistently kept running into this kind of this kind of stuff. That it's it's okay. It's it, it's I mean not excuse, but it's it's okay if you're not if you're not the sharpest stick on the ground it's the best i come up with on the spot there but it's it's the best okay (laughs) i'm not the sharpest tool in the box i'm not the okay because what james is saying and this is wonderful because again it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're beautiful or if you're not beautiful okay it just it's not a determining factor and this should not be, I mean, you're hearing, we can't make this stuff up. Have you, have you guys realized every passage talks about this? This is the only message there is, okay? In fact, he says, listen, this is, it's, it's almost ridiculous. The brother, the, the, the timid brother, okay? You know what timid is. Again, I told you my wife and I argue about this. We get in the car and she's, and, and Corinne is running through all the things, and I should have said this, and I should have said this, and I should have said this, you know? Because at the time she wanted to say all that but didn't. Me, I'm in the car going, I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have said this. <laughs> okay, I struggle with a filter, just in mouth out or in head out mouth. Okay, so we're completely different. We argue about that stuff. So the the timid, <laughs> we do. We argue about that stuff. So um, but the timid is is the guy that's just you know man he. He doesn't have what it takes. He's not the bold, the courageous, the hero. That's not the guy that he's talking about. But listen to what he says about this guy. That timid, menial task, all he's worth kind of person ought to take pride in his high position. In fact, brag about it is what he says. Just brag about it. Brag about it. I'm inadequate. Now again, see, I, I'm in the shower giggling about this. Because it's, we've had this at cross out conferences where people say, wow, you guys preach about the same, and they used to say, wow, do you guys get together? And, and I laugh and say, no, we don't ever talk, and we end up preaching about the same thing, because it's all there is to preach about. Seriously. Blessed, I'm poor in spirit. I mean, you've heard the man. You know what I'm saying? It's not a Matthew thing. I take pride in that. Now, that's contrasted with the rich And the rich is easy to talk about because the rich is not money, it's the person who's rich in resource, who's smart, who's intellectual, who's savvy. You said something last night really resonated with me or the other night, whenever you preached last, about the guy that that just lures you in and, and, uh, you know, the great orator, you know, the person that could just preach their socks off, you know. That's, he calls that low position. And by the way, he says the rich should take pride in their low position. The low position is menial tasks. That's the same Greek word. So it's literally the rich who's relying on their own abilities and talents, they're spiritually timid. They're spiritually short bus. See, they're spiritually limited. They're spiritually limited. They're spiritually weak. But the person that's physically, eh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. So he says, in fact, he adds, which is the whole conclusion of this whole mess, is that he says that the the rich person, which the world, and Nathan so much expounded on this this morning, the world is really, really, I mean, that was the thing in college. I mean, I found in college that it wasn't, the concept of Christianity that you were rewarded for, it was the grades that you were rewarded for. Scholarships were given on grades, they were not given on development of concept. I don't know if that even resonates with you or not, but that was the whole thing with my ordination. They wanted me to spit back information to them. It wasn't, it was like education's more into education than they are into Jesus. And I know that sounds judgmental, but I can't come to any other conclusion than that. It's about you know being smart, and that was what our papers were about, you know. And I'm witty and all that stuff, but I mean, I, I felt overwhelmingly inaccurate, inadequate, unable. And my professors encourage me. They're like, "Listen, just come, make your pages four or five, at least go four or five pages. Use a lot of big words. You'll be all right." <laughs> you, know? you know, because that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted from me. Okay. So that's, see, rich, it's, that's the idea behind the rich. But what he says about the rich, and he uses language they would understand, listen to this, but the rich should take pride in their low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. A wildflower is not evil. You don't steer clear of wildflowers. They just don't last. What they produce won't last. Do you know what this means for a guy like me who's parenting an eight-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl? Yesterday, I wanted to spank that little kid right there. Because he was acting absolutely inappropriate. And yet you can't beat Jesus in them. We have tried to beat (laughs) Jesus in them. You know? And we're sitting down, and man, we're layering everything with, in, in prayer and walking with him and conversation. Because and, all of my wisdom and knowledge and, and anything that finds its uh, uh, origin in my flesh, in my ability, in, in scare tactics see, that's what my, my dad par- uh, parented through fear. You know? See, I want my son to say, well, why don't you ride the four-wheeler when your dad's gone? He will beat the tar out of me. Maybe. But why don't you ride the four-wheeler when my dad's gone? Because my dad has talked to me about it, and he's walked me through, and the Holy Spirit has revealed to me. Do you see the difference? That's the kind of kid I want. I don't, I mean, yes, I want my kid to pay attention and stand in worship. I'm going to brag on Riley. I love this. It's touched my heart. I told Nathan this. I came in uh, during worship, uh, one of the sessions, and Riley has these headphones on. I told you about this, didn't I, Delphine? He has these headphones on, and he's looking up in the air, and he's got this look, and he's just, you know, and his hands are like this, and he's going, and he's singing, and I'm just looking at him, and Nathan, you look at him with me, and we're staring, and finally he comes to, and he goes... And I was like, no, 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 I did. I'm not, you're not in trouble. I, I don't want to bug you. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm worshiping. <laughs> Sorry, okay? <laughs> but it was, that's not, that's not produced from this. He's being caught up in something. That tells me something about them. Are you with me? And I'm what I've been telling, I want my boy hanging out with that. I want my boy hanging out with people like that. Because there's no amount of shaking my finger. There's no amount of beating him. There's no amount of strict rules and keeping him away from these kind of people. And again, I'm, I'm faced with a new thing. I'm light on language and in terms of TV. People say, oh, we have the, the thing that takes out language. I don't. I don't I, that doesn't bother me. So you let your kids watch shows with cuss words in it. Well, that's almost impossible, okay, to exclude cuss words out of TV shows. So no, I mean, we don't watch these vulgar, but they ask. Wow, never hear you say that word. Okay, Dad. Yeah, that guy doesn't love Jesus. And he's learning, CJ and Elena, they're learning to distinguish what looks like him and what doesn't look like him. Now there's a limit and a cap to that. But it's almost like Jesus becomes their filter. And Corinne and I are training them not in right action. We're training them in hearing Jesus and responding to Jesus and and what to listen to and what not to listen to based off of that person that's speaking in their life. You follow me? See, that's that's parenting, through, that's parenting through the spirit, not parenting through talent, ability, rule, judgment, that kind of stuff. Because all of this stuff over here, you can make your kid do what you want them to do. But it's not going to last. How do you know it's not going to last? You know how many of your kids I've seen graduate high school and never come back? Okay? So, and we're not talking about your kids, obviously. Okay, just all those other churches in the world where they have Christians that come to church and their kids don't come back. I, I, that scares me to death. That does. I mean, and I'm not talking about living fear of that, but it's, there's, it's a serious matter. I don't want anything coming out of my life that smells of me. I don't want him to be a product of me. I want him to be a product of him, which is possible. It's called Christian parenting. Okay, so he says it'll pass away by the flower, and then he gives this illustration, for the sun rises with the scorching heat, which in their day, did some research on this, and we're getting back to this, and again, it's Roman stuff that's circulating around, but uh, we're coming back to the sun being the, the uh, provider. See, it's Mother Earth is the big deal. It's the whole, see, I'm, I'm, I'm not against just going and rampantly cutting down forest, you know, deforestation, but there's this romance that's happening with our earth as if it's the one that's the provider. It's the source of life. Okay? And that was big in their day. And so James is personally taking this source of life for the world and saying, for the sun rises with the scorching heat, it withers the plants, its blossoms fail, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away. In other words, anything that's produced outside of Jesus, no matter what your culture says, is not. There's no amount of self help books out that's going to replace Jesus, period. You and I know this. You and I know this. So it's the same sermon, (laughs) it's the same application, it's the same thing you got up out of bed for this morning. What in your life is the product of you and not the product of him? Run from it. Seriously, absolutely flee from it. Be petrified of it. Just just don't, you know, it's not, don't make yourself look ugly, okay? There's nothing wrong with a godly, beautiful person, okay? Okay? Nothing wrong with that. You don't have to like facial scars, (laughs) false humility. Just don't depend on that. Don't lean on that. Don't become a schmoozer. Don't utilize. Don't operate out of that. Operate out of Him. See through His eyes. See through His wisdom. See through His perspective. Lord Jesus, thank You for what You're doing in my life this week and the perspective in which You are honing in my mind. I'm I'm lacking the vocabulary to desc- to describe what I'm feeling. I don't I'm not sure what it is. That's I'm not sure if anything's changed in my life this week. It's just become sharper, which is going to change the way that I act. It's going to change the way that I parent. It's going to change the intensity in my life. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to change the way I preach. Pray that you would be my boldness. I pray that my preaching would not be the product of my generation of a funny, um, smooth, capture the audience, and all that stuff's fine, but wouldn't it be wonderful, Jesus, if my preaching was the product of and the demonstration of your power and your influence as you take your word and you apply it in ways that I could never apply it, and you grip the hearts of your people. Not for uh, bookings, not for longevity of my career, but Jesus, I want every response to the spoken word this summer to be the response Of the Sermon on the Mount crowd, where they're cut to the heart, their jaw falls flat open, and the form of Christianity, if it's different than this, that they've embraced, will leave them astounded. Hope is found in you, passion is found in you, direction, provision, safety, peace, rest, the absence of worry. The absence of stress. You are the big deal. We want to sing to you this morning and want to worship you. Grip our hearts, Lord.